This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we continue our 20 in 20 conversations with the man who scored the goal 20 years ago this summer. Caleb Toth was a standout hockey player and he almost never played professional lacrosse. We'll talk about all that more right here on OTCB. Lacrosse fans, welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, NLL Radio, the Lacrosse Flash, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you have us in your ears. Thank you so much. What are we? Week seven, week eight of quarantine life. Hope you're still all safe, uh, enjoying the outdoors as best you can, keeping your distance and all that good stuff. Um, it kind of sounds like places are going to start relaxing some of the rules, but listen to those who are way smarter than me to decide when it is safe to resume whatever it is that you do around other people. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at off the crossbar. You can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Love to hear from you all. Um, Hope you're keeping busy, safe, and healthy. Not a whole lot to report in the world of lacrosse. Not a whole lot new. Minor lacrosse is pretty much about to be done soon. There's no real chance for it. When we get to mid-May, I believe the Canadian Lacrosse Association will be making a final announcement or decision on what to be done with their championships and their leagues across the country. Some people think September might be an option, but as we get to September and everybody knows, not only does the weather begin to change, but arenas will want to start putting ice in, and that means very sparse surfaces for the cross to be played on. So... As I've said in the last four or five episodes, let's just keep our fingers crossed and let's keep hope alive. And in the meantime, let's just keep talking some lacrosse. This week on the show, we have one of the best. A former teammate of mine, a former foe of mine, uh, and an all-round gem, Caleb Toth. Uh, Currently head coach of the Nanaimo Senior A Timberman. Uh, He was supposed to be the offensive coach for the Vancouver Warriors. I guess technically he still is, but he showed up for one practice and the next day the season was put on hold. However, Niner, as he's more formally known, or maybe casually known, uh, has been a very busy man in his years. And not just the 20 years since he scored the goal, for the Toronto Rock against the Rochester Nighthawks in the 2000 NLL Finals, the last game in Maple Leaf Gardens. Before that, he was an incredible hockey player with stints in the WHL, the ECHL, had a chance to go to the NHL, or the AHL, the IHL, but that really never panned out. 
just because a coach needed him a little bit more than the other team. We'll get into that if you're a little bit confused. But Caleb has been an integral part of growth of lacrosse wherever he has gone. A Calgary native started his pro career in Toronto and everybody remembers the goal. And while he only spent a couple seasons with the Rock, that goal really helped propel the National Lacrosse League to the next stage and the next level of sporting events. And it's an iconic goal in Toronto sports history. I still don't think it gets the love um, for what it is. We all know Toronto is a Leafs town and a Blue Jays town and a Raptors town and a TFC town and what are they, the Toronto Wolves, the rugby club. And every time the Rock take to the floor, there's a lot of hype, but they always kind of get pushed to the back burner. And that goal is iconic. And it should be up there with one of the greatest, as one of the greatest moments in Toronto sports history. Heck, it's got to be up there in one of the most historic Canadian sports history moments. I just don't think it gets love. It gets love in our circles, but outside it's still quite forgotten. However, that goal really, you know, sparked a lot of young kids to want to play more lacrosse. Then he gets flipped to Calgary for Blaine Manning, another Alberta boy, and he helps ignite lacrosse in Alberta and Calgary that will forever change Alberta lacrosse. He helped Alberta lacrosse go to the next level, and there's no denying that. All the work that he did with the Calgary Roughnecks um, within the city of Calgary and within Alberta Lacrosse, you can see the benefit of all the work that he did with the amount of lacrosse players from Alberta, from Calgary, that are now playing high school, college, and professional lacrosse. There are more and more kids coming out of Alberta than ever. And a lot of that has to do with the efforts early on from Caleb Toth. He's now with the Nanaimo Timmerman as their head coach. And he has helped rejuvenate that organization. He has used what he has learned from the likes of Les Bartley, Chris Hall, Paul Del Monte. And used those lessons of being a champion with the Rock, the Shamrocks, and the Junior Lakers. To really take that Nanaimo program and give them confidence, belief, and the strength to compete at the top level. Our 20 and 20 goes a little bit longer than 20 minutes and there is a little bit of strong language. But don't let that deter you. Caleb Toth is a true gentleman and one of the best our game has ever seen. He's up next right here on 20 and 20 on the Off the Crossbar podcast.
Joined now by Caleb Toth of, let's see, the Calgary Roughnecks, Victoria Shamrocks, Vancouver Warriors, Toronto Rock, Burnaby Junior Lakers, um, the Nile Timmerman. How are you, friend? I'm doing good. Teddy, how are you? Uh, I cannot complain. It's raining in Victoria. We need it. How's the Mid-Island? Uh, it's lightly raining. It's not too bad, um, but it's supposed to pick up. So. Yeah. You've, uh, you've been in Nanaimo for how long now? Oh, God. I live in Ladysmith. Uh, which is a small town about 20 minutes outside of Nanaimo. Yeah. And I've been here for six years now. We just renewed our mortgage. So, yeah, six years. And you, you guys, you and the wife and the kids moved from Calgary to there. What was the, the reason for the move? Uh, you know what? I told my wife whenever I was done playing lacrosse, um, we would move back to BC because she's obviously she was from Vancouver. I met her when I was playing junior uh, lacrosse um, for Burnaby. And, you know, she moved away, um, away from her parents and her family and didn't basically know anybody in Calgary. So she made the, the risk and wanted to be closer to her family. Her, uh, her father's uh, a little older. Um, you know, he doesn't have uh, too many more years on this earth, uh, unfortunately. Um, so she wanted to be able to spend a little more time being closer, uh, you know, to them uh, and yeah. having to fly back and forth from Calgary. How are the wife and kids doing? Uh, you and I were kind of talking before we got this. She's in school, but uh, your two young girls and your your young lad are, aren't driving you too crazy yet? No, I still work, so I'm out of the house, thank God. Uh, <laughs> I feel bad for the wife, but uh, yeah. she actually said today that, uh, you know, she's got a really good routine. Um, you know, she lets them sleep in until about 9 o'clock. She gets up around 6.30 to start uh, her school work because, She's doing the online classes and all that since the universities are shut down. Uh, she does that till about 11. Um, they get their own breakfast. Um, you know, they're allowed to play on their electronics and watch TV until 11. Then she's done her university. Uh, she starts, uh, you know, with them on their schoolwork. Uh, as lunch comes around, she makes them lunch. And then it's back to school, take a break, go outside, get some exercise, come back in, do a little more school. And then, uh, yeah, by the time I get home, the kids are back on their iPads. And uh, we basically eat dinner as a family together. And then <laughs> I, help, I help clean up, uh, talk to them about their day, do a little fun stuff. And then I'm off to bed at 8 o'clock because i got to yeah. get up at 3. Yeah, that's, uh, you work with Canada Post. Uh, are you able to keep yourself mentally fit or, and physically fit? Or are you getting outside enjoying some fresh air at times? Uh, you know, like my, my second job, um, hauling tires, like I work for uh, Integra Tires, so changing over uh, car tires and commercial tires, that gives me a little exercise. Yeah. Uh, and then on the weekends, uh, you know, we always go for walks or, or bike rides or, you know, something just to get out of the house, get some activity going. Um, but other than that, it's just, uh, you know, trying to uh, trying to overcome this, trying to just stay positive and, and yeah. Just uh, try not to drink too much. <laughs> uh, Lucky's going down a little easier these days. <laughs> yeah, they always do. You know that. They always do. They always do. Um, I appreciate you joining us. We're going to do 20 and 20 as we have been doing. Uh, did you just crack a Lucky? I did, yes. Yes. Perfect. I love to hear that sound. It's an un- unmistakable sound, the crack of the yeah. BC's gold. Um, all right. So 20 and 20, 20 minutes, 20 questions. Um, people may be wondering why Caleb Toth. Everyone knows you as Niner. Um, you didn't wear number 20 or anything like that, but 20 years ago, you did score the goal. Yes, I did. Uh, you know what? It, it's, it's funny. I, 
I didn't even think about it until just the other day when you texted me and, and, uh, you know, it was like, holy crap, am I getting old? <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, that's the first thing that popped into my head was it's been 20 years already. Holy crap. Um, um you know, you look at young faith, Caleb Toth, how fun, how interesting is it look, to look back 20 years at how young you were and, and how different you were. Oh, how good looking I was? Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, I was young. Job. I was good looking. Now I'm just old and grumpy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it was, it was, it was fun. Let me tell you, it's 20 years ago. Um, you know, that team we had with Toronto was such a great team. Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to, uh, to get that shot and to put it past, uh, Patty O'Toole. Um, you know, it was, uh, you know, basically was, one of the most amazing uh, things that an athlete can experience is, you know, scoring a, a winning uh, goal with one second left. Uh, you know, it was, it was unreal. Everything about that day, that game, the last game in, in Maple Leaf Gardens, the rumors that they had sold out of beer before halftime, um, the, the back and forth during that game with Junior scoring that goal. Uh, Danny Stroop was going off for you guys. If you haven't seen the game, it's available on YouTube. I'm sure Caleb has his own copy. But what was the original drawn-up play with eight seconds left in the game? Well, the original play was supposed to be uh, to Stroop. It was supposed to be yeah. Doily to Stroop cutting across because he was having just a, a hell of a game. He had five goals already. Um, you know, he just seemed to – everything he shot was going to the net. So uh, it was going to go to Stroopy. Um, I think they anticipated that. Because uh, one of their guys jumped on Stroopy right away, and when he cut across the middle, was shadowing him. Um, they anticipated and kind of uh, pressured or, or went down and left me open. Doily saw that I was open, fed me the ball, and you know I just wound up. I didn't even know what what was on the clock. I just knew that I had to shoot, so I just wound up, let her rip, and you know before uh, the game, our scouting report was you know short side, uh, high. Um, I had tried the shot a couple times. You know, during the game on power plays, and I was hitting him in the chest, and you know, I was just lucky that uh, that I was able to pull it enough uh, to the short side and, and drain it. You've always had a knack for for having just an absolute cannon, but have you ever picked a better corner? Uh, you know, not uh, not uh, not in my life. That was uh, the perfect shot. Um, you know, like I've I've scored from you know like center before. Uh, but that's just shooting as hard as you can at the net. Um, yeah. You know, there's, there's skill when you're shooting outside. And I've, I've scored some nice goals, um, top corners, you know, bottom corners, five holes are always garbage, um, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but you know, it's, it's, that was one that always sticks out. Um, yeah. There was that one. And then there was the one uh, uh, from center. Well, not just inside center just inside. when we beat, uh, when we beat New York, uh, when I was with Calgary, uh, the last, uh, the shot just at halftime. Um, that, that's on my two. list. That's on my list of questions. You're jumping, oh, okay. ahead, I, I you're jumping ahead of the program. Sorry, buddy. Okay. I'll it's stop. okay. I'll stop. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> the whole point is to hear about these stories from you. So I appreciate it. Um, that, that goal ranks up there with one of the greatest moments in Toronto sports history. It may not get the love that it gets because everybody knows, you know, hockey rules in Toronto and the Raptors and all that stuff. But did you ever get recognized in Toronto or around the area for that moment? Uh, no, you know, I was only there one year after, um, you know, the cross fans. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was funny though, cause I did go, uh, I went with a couple of the guys to a house party, uh, and there was a guy 
at the house party that said that he went to kindergarten with me in, in Calgary. Now, <laughs> really? I, I have no clue. He could have just been pulling my leg. Yeah. But he says, he swears to God that we went to kindergarten together. And, I, you know, of course, I don't have a clue because yeah. I can't remember last week, let alone when I was, you know, four years, five years old. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, that was kind of a, uh, you know, a, a celebrity-like, let's say, moment. Um, but, yeah, uh, there wasn't too many people that would, you know, pick you out of a lineup or if I was walking into Subway or Tim Hortons, there wouldn't be too many people that would actually say, hey, you're Caleb. Um, now in, in Calgary, uh, that was That's a completely different, different story. Yeah. Like, cause I was born and raised in Calgary. I spent, uh, you know, 11 years playing there. Um, so yeah, so more people would recognize me in Calgary than, uh, than in Toronto for sure. How did you take the news when you found out you were going to be a roughneck? Uh, you know what? I was excited. Um, the one thing that was, uh, you know, that was a little nerve wracking was, you know, you're leaving a championship caliber team, um, yeah. you know, that. We went to two championships the two years I was there. You know, one against Rochester, lost against Philly, and going to start an expansion team. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, you think to yourself, am I making the right move? Um, you know, I, I absolutely thought it, it was the right move. Uh, you know, being from Calgary, being able to start something there. Um, you know, it, it, it to me, it was kind of a no-brainer, but there was always those doubts where, shit, man, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're leaving it a championship caliber team for, you know, a long time to start something. And, you know, it, it was, it was scary. The first couple games, uh, well, the first game when we got, thrown out, <laughs> you know, that was, uh, that was a little bit of a, oh man. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, everything seemed to work out in three short years. Uh, you know, we won a championship. So it's, uh, you know, it, it worked out really good. And then Calgary now is a real strong franchise and, you know, there was a lot of factors to, to make that strong. We had really good coaching, um, you know, really good GM, Brad Bannister, uh, you know, Kurt Silcott when he was there, uh, you know, kind of built that franchise. Tracy Kolesky, myself, um, you know, we had a, a bunch of stuff that we did to attract, um, you know, kids. And, and, you know, we did we started up a school program there. Um, you know, when, when we left, uh, Andrew McBride took it over. Um, you know, so it's, it's the Roughnecks just are giving back and trying to get, you know, lacrosse back out there and, and you know, winning another championship last year. Uh, they're doing a great job. How special was that night beating New York in your hometown for your hometown team uh, for that title and for the city of Calgary? Uh, you know what? It, it was unreal. Um, you know, both championships I won in Calgary was at the Saddle uh, yeah. The first one was Buffalo. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was a great game back and forth. Uh, and then the same game with New York, it was back and forth. Uh, Casey Powell kept them in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, we just got lucky, uh, you know, getting a couple of shorthanded goals. Um, you know, but, uh, but whenever you win a championship, uh, in front of your, your hometown, it's an unreal feeling. Um, you know, and it was a little different for me cause I've got so many family and, and, you know, friends, not just fans that, uh, you know, were at those games. Um, you know, and so I got to go out and celebrate with them after and, and that's, you know, one of the best things about, uh, winning championships is the celebration with your family, friends, and your teammates. How important was Chris Hall in the development of your lacrosse career? Cause you actually were pretty blessed your junior career. Once you came out West, you got to play under Paul Del Monte and those great Burnaby teams. And then once you got to the senior ranks with Shamrock, you had Chris Hall and, 
Um, everybody that has ever met Chris Hall knows what a special gentleman he was. But how important was he to you in, in your maturation as, as a lacrosse player and as a human? Uh, you know what? It was. It, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've had some great coaches throughout my career. Um, you know, I think that's kind of one of the reasons why I've succeeded in lacrosse. Uh, hockey, I, I never got that break, but I never had, and not, you know, not putting anybody down, but I never had that all-star caliber coaching. Yeah. Um, lacrosse, I did. Uh, Paul yeah. helped me out when I was in Burnaby. Um, you know, coming from Calgary, I had, you know, basically there was two coaches I had, and one of them was my dad. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and he he'd never played the game before, but he, he knew him, he understood the game. So he could, he could, you know, show us an act, uh, how to execute plays and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but he didn't have the skill set. And then when I came out to Burnaby to play with Paul, um, I learned a lot. Uh, you know, I learned how to set a proper pick and roll. Um, you know, I learned how to play a two-man game before in Calgary. A lot of the time it was just give Caleb the ball and let him go through everyone and score. Yeah. So it was, it, it taught me a lot. Um, and then, of course, you know, the first year uh, when Victoria drafted me, you know, playing under under Chris and having, uh, you know, Dave Bremner, Walt Christensen, you know, Grant Hamilton, you know, those, those Darren Rizek, those veteran guys that, you know, aren't afraid to, you know, to say something to help mold you to, yeah. to make you better because if they make you better, they make the team better. Um, you know, so they, they helped me out with a lot. Um, you know, I was very fortunate. I lived with Dave Bremner, so whenever there was uh you know, if I had a bad game or something, he let me know what I did wrong and what I need to improve on. Like it was, yeah. you know, our relationship was, was great that way. Um, you know, I never took offense to anything because I wanted to learn and I wanted to be better. So if, if someone could help me be better and even if it hurt my feelings, it didn't hurt my feelings because I could yeah. be better. So it was, it was great having, uh, you know, living with him taught me a lot. And, uh, you know, those years playing for the Shamrocks, uh, you know, we had great, uh, great teams and, and, you know, getting getting a chance to play with Paul and Gary Gates pretty sweet too. So that, that's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah, that's, uh, that's that, that was the '99 uh, Man Cup team. Um, true or false? You and Darcy Berthier were accused of stealing the Man Cup and put in a car. Uh, that is true, <laughs> and it is true, true, true. So, long story. We didn't actually steal the Man Cup. No, you won. We, it. Yeah, well, we won it, but uh, we. So the man cup went missing and no one knew where it was. We happened to get, we were out at the bar and we happened to get an anonymous uh, message that the cup would be at this place. So we took the chance. We went there and sure enough, the cup was there. And about, I'm going to say five minutes later, so were the cops. (laughs) So we, we ended up, uh, you know, we told the police, hey, we're not letting this thing out of our sight now. Yeah. So if you're taking it away, you're taking us with you. So they said, okay. And so they put us in the back of the cop car and took us down to the station. <laughs> um, we got down there, and, uh, you know, they, they were awesome. The police, the uh, Victoria PD were, were awesome. They, they knew that, you know, we were players, that we'd won the cup, but they were told by their uh, superior officers, and they cannot let this thing go. So. Yeah. They had to to take it, and you know we got pictures, handcuffed in jail, and you know uh, made the news, and it was it was you know it was a fun thing. But then, you know, at the end of the day, we didn't get to take the cup out with us, so we had uh, we had uh, I think Grant Hamilton, the uh, police officer, he went and got it the next day, and then uh, and then after that we had it. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty funny story. It probably didn't help that you were two young guys 
as sober as can be with what with bright green hair. Yes, yes. Uh, the sober part was was spot on. We had not been drinking all day. <laughs> uh, how many colors have you dyed your hair over the years? Oh, I've been blonde, uh, green. I've been red. I've been black. Oh, just for fun, or is, was it? Are you like a Dennis Rodman type, where it helps? No, uh, I did blonde uh, when I played hockey. Uh, my last year of hockey, uh, green the Shamrocks, uh, red was just wanted to try something. It was like an auburn kind of dark red. Um, <laughs> you know, just just trying something. Just I, you know what? Nowadays, uh, in the summertime, I usually shave my head because it's just so much easier than combing my hair. Yeah, um, you know, so actually with this pandemic, I was going to shave it, but I uh, I gave my the wife the option to try to cut it. So she uh, she gave me a little haircut. Uh, turned out OK. Um, but, you know, with, with both my jobs, I wear a hat pretty much, you know, yeah. 10 hours a day. So uh, no one really gets to see my hair. It's just the sides that uh, <laughs> I got to got to look good. Uh, what's been your biggest impulse buy ever? Uh, you know what? I, uh, I hate to say this, but I don't impulse buy anything. Um, I used to collect, uh, Jack Daniels. So every time that I would come across a, a different, uh, bottle that I didn't have, right. I would always buy three. And <laughs> the reason for three was one to drink, two to keep. And then yeah. the, the plan was, you know, I was, I kind of had this thing in my head where I was going to have you know, two boys, and then I would give them each their half of my, like each would get half of my collection. Right. Uh, I ended up having three kids, so now none of them gets anything, and I drink it all. <laughs> I was going to say, how many bottles are left? <laughs> I, I, surprisingly, I still have quite a few. Uh, when we first moved out here, um, you know, alcohol is so expensive in BC compared to Calgary. Uh, I wouldn't go to the liquor store. I would just open up the bottles that I have. Uh, and then I get down to like having one of everything. And then now I just said, no, I can't, I, I got to keep a little bit of it, but I have, I have a Texas Mickey that is, I've had since I was about 18 years old. Come on. Um, yeah. There's uh there's a bottle. I have a Texas Mickey, another one that's 43% alcohol. That is autographed by Lynn Toil, who is the great grandniece of Jack Daniels. Jeez. Uh, yeah, I've got, I've got lots. I've got leatherback bottles. I've got all the anniversary bottles. Um, yeah. So if, if my house lights on fire, it's, uh, it's because of all the alcohol. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're not saving it because <laughs> it's, it's all in my crawl space. So, uh, so unofficially you have the largest collection of Jack Daniels bottles in the world. Uh, I wouldn't say in the world. But well, unofficially I, I, we don't know. Yeah. yeah well, we that's true. Know. But I, I have a nice little collection, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I just started. It was just something that I started when I was a kid, and or when I was a kid, but when I was about eighteen to twenty, and uh, yeah, I just I just kept doing it until I basically stopped playing lacrosse. It was it was good because every time I'd go to the states, I could oh, always yeah. go to the duty free and see if they had any bottles, or go to a liquor store and see if they have any bottles, and you know I, I could always bring two back and you know give one to Tracy to to bring back for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it always worked out. Um, you mentioned a couple of times, uh, your, your hockey career, how good were you in junior hockey? Uh, you know what? It, it depends on who you ask. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I thought I was good. I had, you know, three years where I scored 30 goals. Um, well, I think I had 30, 31 and 28. So, you know, I, I say three years, yeah. 30 goals. Um, <laughs> easy math. Yeah. My first, my first year, 
uh, in Prince Albert. I ended up with nine goals, six assists, and probably 150 penalty minutes. Um, I had Don Clark's brother, or Wendell Clark's brother, Don, was my coach. Oh, wow. And he, he didn't like me. Um, <laughs> he, would, uh, he would tell me to go fight, um, you know, whenever I'd play. Or whenever my first shift would be him tapping me saying, go get something going. Yeah. Um, you know, there was one game I remember. There was a line brawl. Uh, I guess it was against Lethbridge. Uh, I wasn't on the, on, the, on the ice. I was on the bench. So, of course, they kick everybody out, and now we're shorthanded. So he puts me on the third line. I ended up scoring four goals that game. So, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, okay, I just got my big break. Yeah. The next game, I'm on the third line. I get two goals. So I'm just like, okay, now I got it. Yeah, I'm, I'm on. Uh, everybody gets back. I'm back on the fourth line. <laughs> so uh, I remember one time in practice. So this was back when you could actually yell at your players. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were doing a skating drill and he blows his whistle. And I don't know if I can swear on the podcast, but he, yeah, goes, give her hell. he goes, holy fuck, Caleb. He goes, I'm going to bring a video camera out here. I'm going to tape you just to show you how fucking stupid you look. <laughs> so, of course, I'm I'm 17-year-old kid at the yeah. time. I'm getting yelled at. Wendell's, Wendell Clark's brother's yelling at me. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, am I really looking that bad? Like, I was yeah. passing guys in the skating grill. So I'm just like, oh, okay. I guess uh, I guess he just needs a scapegoat, someone to yell at. I could take it. So, yeah. I just took it. And, yeah, the next year uh, in Prince Albert, uh, we had a new coach. Uh, I got to play. I was playing on the third line. Uh, ended up, you know, having a good year. Uh, ended up getting traded to uh, Moose Jaw because uh, Prince Albert uh, was going to go for it. So they traded their, there was three of us young guys to Moose Jaw and Moose Jaw traded their uh, experienced vets uh, to Prince Albert. Um, yeah. Prince Albert didn't win it. Uh, yeah. And so we, we ended up uh, being in last place or the second last in Moose Jaw. I ended up actually hurting my ankle. I missed the last two weeks of the season. Um, and then the next year, played the full year in Moose Jaw. I had a good year. And then my last year uh, was between Moose Jaw and Lethbridge. I uh, started in Moose Jaw, hurt my knee, uh, got a phone call to go see the doctor after about two weeks, went and saw the doctor, got cleared to play, got traded that night. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, yeah, so then I uh, I went to Lethbridge and... Uh, I get to Westbridge and their doctor gives me the medical and goes, what are you doing skating? You're still like two or three weeks away. <laughs> so I was like, well, that's just kind of how it works, I guess, in junior. Yeah, but I had uh, I had a good old uh, Al Tour as my coach in Moose Jaw. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm, amazing guy. Absolutely amazing guy. He's a beauty. I had uh, Knuckles Nyland, uh, Chris Nyland, as my coach in uh, Chesapeake when I played in the East Coast Hockey League. Uh, I tell you, he's got some stories. Oh, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, uh, another great guy. Um, yeah. You know, but these were tough guys turned coaches. Um, you know, so they're, they're, the way that they ran hockey was, you know, hit, hit, fight, try to score. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. It wasn't, you know, finesse. It wasn't, you know, doing lots of drills. It was skate hard, hit hard, fight hard, go to that hard, dunk it off your ass and in. <laughs> Ah, uh, the good old days, eh? Yeah, that's the way hockey used to be, right? Now yeah. it's everyone's speed. Well, it's the same with the cross, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. The game just develops and and changes so much. Um, you know, in in ten fifteen years, 
hockey could go back to that way and lacrosse could go back to, you know, the wooden sticks and, and beating the crap out of people instead of, you know, speed and transition. Yeah. Unlikely, but... Yeah, very unlikely because the game is so much more entertaining on both sides, right? Yeah. On, yeah. on hockey and lacrosse, uh, you know, people want speed. They want goals. They want to see, you know, good clean hits. They don't want to see headshots. Um, yeah, they want to see fighting, but, you know, when, when there's a fight, they don't want anyone to get hurt. <laughs> it's yeah. like, fight, be entertaining, but please no one fall down Just or get knocked careful. out. Just be yeah. careful, yeah. Um, you mentioned that you'd gotten traded and that you'd gotten clearance. I read an article... Um, that said you, when you were in the ECHL playing in Chesapeake, you got traded to the Cleveland Lumberjacks, but Nylons didn't tell you that you got traded because they needed you? No, so what happened was I started off in Baton Rouge, and I got okay. traded from Baton Rouge to the East Coast. So I got, or sorry, uh, to Chesapeake. Um, right. So it was like seven or eight games in. So I had a tryout with the Cleveland Lumberjacks of the IHL, um, now, you got to remember, this was many moons ago when it used to yeah. be the IHL and the AHL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had camp, and I had a really good camp. And so, unfortunately, uh, what had happened at the time was Cleveland was affiliated with Tampa Bay. And so Tampa Bay sent all their guys down, and I wasn't under contract. So I got sent down to the East Coast. And because I had okay. signed with Baton Rouge, I went down to Baton Rouge. So Chesapeake was the affiliate of Cleveland, so I had like a really good camp. So they wanted me in Chesapeake so they could call me up to Cleveland. Right. So I get traded from Baton Rouge to Chesapeake. Uh, you know, I play a bit and then I get a phone call one day from my dad and he's like, Hey, I just saw in the transaction, you got uh, called up to Cleveland. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm pretty sure if I got called up, they would have told me and I would have went to Cleveland. Right. So, what it was was they had they had called us up or called me up, but Chris didn't want me to go because we had a lot of injuries, and so he didn't tell me. <laughs> and so I, we, a guy gets sent down from Cleveland, and he comes up to me and he's like, "Hey man, where were you?" And I'm like, "What are you talking about? I've been here." Like, yeah. he goes, "We called you up, and you no showed." I was like, uh, I'm pretty sure if you called me up, I would have showed and I would have right. known about it. And he goes, I'm serious. He goes, we had your name, a jersey in the stall and everything. Hilarious. And so I went to Chris and I was like, hey, man, like, I just got told I got called up. Why didn't anybody tell me? And he's like, well, we had so many injuries. I didn't want to let you go because we're fighting for a playoff spot. <laughs> so that was the last year I played hockey. Crazy. Yeah. Lacrosse the game. Yeah. So what happened was, that year, when I was in playing Chesapeake, was in 90, uh, 99. And so that was the first year Toronto had won the championship. Right. So they had drafted me that year. Um, so I got a call from uh, uh, Johnny Meridian, and Johnny said, hey, you know, we drafted you. We'd like you to come. And I told him, I said, well, listen, I'm playing in hockey East Coast. You know, I'm, I'm living basically Baltimore, um, right between Baltimore Annapolis and DC. We lived in this, this small old town called Crofton, Maryland. And so he said, "Wow, shit, we can fly you up, or you know, you can drive up, um, you know, and play some games, or you know, if we're in Philly, you can go to Philly and play some games. Like we can make this work." Yeah. So I had said to Chris, I said, "You know, told him the situation. This is what I wanted to do." And he basically said, "If I leave to go play lacrosse, uh, I can't come back to play hockey." And so he didn't want me, you know, playing two sports. He just wanted me to commit to hockey. And because I had signed the contract and I had already said, yeah, I was going to play hockey this year, I decided to 
you know, to honor it and say, you know what, sorry, Johnny, um, you know, for next year, all cards are on the table. Um, yeah. But for this year, I, I am playing ho- hockey and, you know, I didn't sign a contract with these guys. So I feel like I do have to honor, you know, and not bail out on my team. And so he totally understood. He said, no problem. And then uh, I was actually in the bar in a pub uh, while they won the championship. And yeah. I was telling uh, one of my teammates and the bartender, I was like, yeah, I, I was supposed to be playing for that team. And of course they're like, yeah, whatever, whatever. Right. So then the next year when I went to play lacrosse, uh, I kept in contact with the bartender because uh, he, the bartender and the manager and one of the waitresses, they were all friends. And so me and another guy on the team, we were Canadians and didn't know anybody. Yeah. So we'd always go to the pub for lunch and that. So we got to know these guys. And uh, yeah, so I kept in contact with them. And then when we played in Philly, I called them and I said, hey, guess what? We got a game in Philly. You guys got to come down. So they all jumped in the car, drove down to Philly. Uh, stayed, I got them tickets and all that. And they were like, are you kidding me? We didn't know you did this. And I said, oh, I told you guys. I <laughs> yeah, play yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was pretty cool. So, yeah, so every uh, for about six years, they would always come to Philly or, or you know, come watch me play somewhere. Like when Washington had a team, they'd come watch in Washington. So it was always, uh, it was always good to see those guys. That's awesome. Um, who was the best teammate you played with that made it to the NHL? Oh, best teammate. Well, I fought Jerome McGinley. Oh, nice. So we were, cool yeah, we, uh, good, actually. Real good. Nice. Uh, it was my first year. Uh, it was his second, my first year. He actually jumped me uh, off face-off. Oh, nice. So it, uh, as it was he, awesome. As he's tended to do. Yeah. So what happened was uh, it, it was like 30 seconds left in the game. And, you know, my first shift in the third line just happens to be, you know, when we're down three goals and coach, first thing coach says, don't fight. So I, I go out, take the face off, and I don't know why you'd put a fourth liner out there if you didn't want him to fight. Yeah. And uh, Jerome goes, we're going. And I said to him, I said, sorry, bud, coach said not to fight. <laughs> and he goes, well, we're fighting. And I was like, you're going to have to jump me then because I can't drop my gloves until you throw a punch. So he jumped me, and then I dropped my gloves, and we had a good little tilt. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Who did I play with? Uh, Dennis Peterson. Oh, yeah. Played with Dennis and Prince Albert. Uh, he probably had the longest uh, career in the NHL. Uh, I played with some good ones. Um, God, Daryl LaPlante, he played a few years. He was with me in Moose Jaw. He played a few years in Detroit. I think he actually won a cup in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, I think he's got a ring. I don't think he, he played a game, but they called him up for the playoff run. So I think he still gets, uh, gets a ring yeah. for that. Um, yeah, there, uh, you know, there hasn't been too many, like when I played minor, uh, minor hockey, there was a couple guys, Craig Adams. He went to Pittsburgh. Uh, he was a Harvard guy, got drafted by Pittsburgh. He ended up being a third, fourth line grinder faceoff guy for him. Uh, he won a cup, uh, Josh Holden. I played triple uh, A midget with him. He played a few years in the NHL. Um, you know, there's been a few. No one that's really had a, you know, a Jerome yeah. McGinley type career. <laughs> but uh, you know, a couple, uh, a couple guys that played good. Is that is that fight on Hockey Fights DB or whatever the website? Is? Uh, I have no clue. Uh, I it wouldn't. I don't know. It was so long ago. I don't even know when they start keeping that record. I'll, I'll scout uh, that for you. It was in ninety. 94, 95, or 95, 96. Your memory can't be that bad from concussions if you can remember that far back, my friend. Uh, you know what? I've only had one so-called concussion in my life, and it had nothing to do with sports. 
Isn't that just the way? Yep, I got made sick by a cop in Baltimore. <laughs> Do we need to tell the story? It is a good story. Yeah, so we're uh, so we get snowed out, right? And I don't know, you know, the states when it snows, yeah. they close down everything. So we get to the rink. They tell us the game's not going on. So we drive back to our apartments, and there's a little snow on the road, maybe. I don't know, three, four inches, but they're not used to it. So they just close down everything, cancel everything. So we all meet up at the pub and we decide that we're going to, there's probably about eight of us. We're going to drive to college town and go to the bars and party. So sure enough, uh, we draw straws. I get the short straw. So I'm the designated driver, which, Hey, no problem. Someone's got you. I lost. Great. So we go to the bar and we're sitting there and I sit down at the bar and I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to get a Coors Light. And he's like, okay. And gives me a Coors Light. And he's like, uh, you know, why are you drinking Coors Light? And I thought oh, I'm the driver. You know, he's like, Oh, okay. And so about two minutes later, uh, one of the guys that I'm with is getting dragged out of there by the bouncers. So I'm like, what the hell? So we go outside and on the way outside, he grabs a, a chair, but the chair is like a patio chair, but it's attached to the fence. So he goes to throw it and takes down the whole fence. <laughs> so now, of course, the cops are called. They all show up. And, you know, now there's like eight uh, the hockey guys and, yeah. uh, you know, sober me. And I'm just standing back by the car watching this go on. And uh, this one aggressive police officer started yelling at the guys to back up and they kept moving forward. And so I was scared, you know, someone's going to get shot or something. Right? Yeah. 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 So I'm like, shit, I got to do something. So I go and I grab my guys and I turn my back to the officer and I start pushing them back. And I'm like, you guys, he said, back up. I turn around. He hit me three times. Oh, before I hit the ground. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hit me in the face, which knocked me out, hit me in the back and on the, in the arm on my way down. I hit the ground and I popped back up. And yeah. I was like, what are you doing? I'm trying to help you. Yeah. And so I'm like, screw this. I go back and wait by the car. Out of the eight of us there, they arrested six guys, myself, and the drunkest guy <laughs> out of the group were the two that didn't get arrested. Wow. So I call our cop. We have a cop buddy. Yeah. And I call the cop buddy. He goes and gets everybody out. Uh, so I go, we go home, or back to the apartment. The next morning I wake up. And I look like the elephant man. Oh. One side of my face is so swollen, it's like you can't even recognize me. Wow. So I go to the, our uh, team doctor. He sends me for x-rays. Nothing's broken. He sends me again because he doesn't believe it. Yeah. So nothing's broken again. So we now, uh, you know, coach finds out, brings in the lawyer. Lawyer's sitting there talking, so we're explaining the story. And the lawyer says to me, like, what happened to you? And I said, well, the cop nightsticked me. And he goes, he what? And I said, yeah, he nightsticked me. That's why I look like this. And he goes, did you get arrested? I was like, no. So he's like, oh, everybody out of the room. (laughs) So he kicks everybody out of the room. And he goes, okay, so we have two options. And I was like, what's that? He goes, well, these guys are getting charged, uh, you know, with drunken disorderly conduct, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, But because uh, you got nightsticked, and they didn't arrest you, we can have a civil suit against a police officer or we can tell the you know district or whatever to release everybody and we won't press charges. And right. so I said, 
well, obviously, I want you know my teammates to be able to come yeah. back into the U.S. So I said, yeah, just use it to drop the charges on everybody, and I won't sue. And so uh, that's what they did. And Crazy. yeah, all those guys got to play hockey again. No one got charged, and I ended up having a black eye for about a year. Oh, jeez! And that was the end of your good looks. Yeah, yeah, that was the end. No, no, they from... eventually they eventually came back. But <laughs> That's true. Yeah, no, I had uh, I, I had a black eye for a year. There was a dark mark underneath my eye for at least a year. I had a huge welt on my arm from when he hit me and on my back. And yeah, the uh, the lawyer uh, or the cop buddy said to me, like our cop buddy said, when we hit people in the face, we try to hurt them. It's oh, not God. like uh, you know, it, it's not like love that. It's yeah. like we're trying to hurt you bad and he goes mm. you're lucky and he goes i don't know how nothing happened and i was like well i, I play lacrosse i get hit in the face a lot so <laughs> I played hockey i get punched yeah. in the face a lot you know i'm, I'm kind of used to it so yeah right um speaking of you know you're in nanaimo you you've settled down a life there but you've also helped um reignite that timberman program how proud are you of how far you have helped that program get to Oh, I'm, I'm very proud. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't just me. There was a lot of hard work behind the scene from a lot of people. Um, you know, it just so happened that I was the, you know, the face that everyone saw. Um, but when I, when I took over, I made it very clear that we needed to change the culture, um, you know, because I, I played in Nanaimo, and when we had, you know, decent teams, you know, the culture was great. But then when we didn't have good teams, it, it was like that – I hate to say it, but senior B mentality where yeah. it's just, we're just playing the cross. It doesn't matter who wins or loses. That's all we're doing is playing the cross because we're going to drink whether we win or lose. Yeah. Um, I that, that was that. an Imo mentality for years because they were really yeah. good senior B down in a team. But mm-hmm. when they got to A, they really had to change, like you said, change the culture, change how they thought about things, change how they did business. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's a professional level. Like I, I played junior and I played pro, I played senior. I, you know, I, I played with some of the best players in the world, some of the best organizations. I had an advantage because I knew what it needed to be taken, like what yeah. needed to be done. Yeah. Uh, and so I basically told them, I said, we're, we're starting from scratch. We're going yeah. to keep the bare minimum. We're going to invite free agents to camp. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're from Nanaimo or from Timbuktu, if you're the best cross player, you're going to be on the team. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we drafted really well. Uh, we had, you know, great scouts draft, you know, tell us great things about quality of kids. And it, it wasn't just, you know, the best player. We wanted kids that had the same mindset that we did, that it wasn't okay to lose, that wanted to win. Um, you know, we had to, we had to play hardball. You know, we had to basically tell kids, if we draft you and you don't come out, uh, we're not trading you. Um, you know, like there there was a rule in, in uh, the WLA that said that, you know, if, if you sat out for two years, you were a free agent. Right. But yeah. it was two years of lacrosse. So if you went to university, that reset that two years. If you played pro, that reset that two years. Right. If you went to a beer tournament in Hawaii – that reset that two years. So right. it was basically two years of not playing lacrosse. Now they have changed that since then. Now you're allowed to play university B, whatever you want. You just can't play a ball. Right. But that we had that as an advantage. We, you know, kids, all the kids wanted to play pro lacrosse. Right. But if they're not For playing sure. lacrosse, <laughs> odds yeah. are they can't make it to pro. 
so we got a lot of kids to finally say, yeah, okay, I'll play. And as soon as they got here, they loved it. Right. And, and that was the thing is, is we had to get them here. We had to, to let them know that the culture's changed, uh, let them know that they'll, they're being a part of that culture. Uh, and, and as soon as they got here, as soon as they played practice, they enjoyed it. Um, yeah. You know, there were some kids, yes, that, you know, were from Vancouver and, and you know, it, it didn't work out well for them. But I always said, you got to give me at least a year, right? Give me a year, play hard for me, do what you can. If it doesn't work out, I will do my best to trade you. Now, I'm not going to give you away, yeah. but I will trade you for, you know, reasonable price, reasonable picks, reasonable players. Um, you know, very rarely did we have kids that said, okay, I can't do it. You know, it's too much travel, yeah. you know, coming from the mainland, um, you know, because it, it's not really because, you know, if you're in the mainland, you're going to the mainland to play half your games anyway. Yeah. Right. So if you're in the mainland, you're playing half your games there and then you're traveling to the island to play half your games. So it's, it, it makes no difference where you are. It's the same amount of travel, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and finally we got, you know, kids and we got talented kids and, you know, we got, you know, we got some, some kids from back East that would come out for a year, two years just to help us. And like Ryan Lee, for instance, no one yeah. knew who Ryan Lee was. Yeah. Ryan Lee needed a chance to play we gave him that chance to play, right? And now he's a star in the NLL, right? And, and that's what a lot of people, you know, see now. And like Jordan Gillis, mm-hmm. same thing. Everyone knew what kind of a stud he was, but he got the opportunity to play tons and to show, right? Uh, same with Drew Belgrade. Like Drew, played with Drew, yeah, Drew and Chase. Yeah, Chase, like, like a lot of these guys, right, are, yeah. are, are getting the opportunity. And, you know, like I'm... Uh, the way to there's two ways to, to to build strong teams. One, you buy your team. Yeah, uh, we don't have the money, we can't do it. Two, you build. And every time you build, you have to look at two things. You have to look at the age of your team and what's leaving and what's coming in. So if you have a young stud that's going to play another, you know, say eight years for your franchise that's 20 years old, that's going to play till he's at least 28, he's going to be a stud those eight years, is he worth getting rid of a 28-year-old that's got four years left? Yeah. In my opinion, he is. Right? Depends now, obviously, on who that 28-year-old, if he scores 50 goals for the next four years, you're going to keep him. Yeah. But, you know, his value is at 28. His value is not at 32. So if you yeah. can trade him at 28, but you can replace him with a younger player, you can get a draft pick, you can get another younger player for him, right? And that's what uh, the, the Edmonton Rush eventually did when they were to Saskatchewan. They yeah. got, they were, they were bad. They made some. We were bad. <laughs> they we were bad. Yeah, they, they had the high draft picks, so they got great players. Yeah. They started getting better. They were able to trade, you know, good players for more draft picks. Yeah. And what Keenan did there was incredible. Yeah, and, and basically made it a dynasty, right? So, he, you know, three years in a row they win the championship. Uh, you know, that's, that's, it's not hard to, to see what you need to do in order to build a franchise when you've got, you know, guys like Keenan doing that, Yeah, right? So it's, it's, it's all little, like, tweaks, um, you know, but it's, it's basically you have your core and you keep your core and you build around your core and you eventually you got to change your core. Um, 
speaking of changing the core, you were brought in right before the whole shutdown started to help change the core and help the core in Vancouver. How excited were you to get back to NLL coaching? Uh, you know what? I was, I was very excited. Uh, I got the call. Uh, Chris Gill called me. Uh, Dan Richardson called me. Um, you know, Chris called first and just said basically uh, I was on their list um, of short list of, of coaches. Uh, first, was I interested and would it work? Um, I told them I needed to you know, basically look at their schedule, look at my schedule, talk to the wife because there was going to be now, you know, weekends where like the three kids are playing lacrosse. So she'd have to arrange for, you know, someone to pick up one or or take the other ones there. Um, You know, so it was, it was a lot of moving parts, but of course this was all before the COVID. Um, So, so we, we ended up, you know, being able to make it work because my mom was going to come out here from, uh, Arizona, my parents have a place out there, so they spend the winters there, and then they always drive out here, visit us for a few weeks. Mom was going to stay longer to help out, to be able to drive the kids. Right. Uh, I said yes, went over to practice on Wednesday, canceled the season on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the reason that the NLL is done? Yes, yes. Green I was the bad guy. killed the yep. NLL. Yeah, so I went over on the Wednesday for practice, took the last very home, uh, woke up the Thursday, got the email uh, that the, the league was going to do this, and yeah, uh, yeah. and it happened. And you know, it's it's out of our control. You know, yeah, absolutely. This is this is one of those things where uh, you know, yeah, you, you, you see the high side, you see the low side. You see, absolutely. you know, people that are masked up, gloved up, uh, you know, staying home, doing all that kind of stuff. And then you see the other ones that are getting together with people and not taking it too seriously. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough, it affects everyone differently. Um, you know, there, there are people that have it that don't show any symptoms. There are people that show every symptom. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing that we have to take it serious. Yeah. You know, like we were talking before, uh, you know, you, you put a group of 20 kids together. One of them has it. Now all 20 of them have it. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, but just if someone passes, then now it's a shit storm, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. you can't, you have to take this seriously. Like I'm, I'm one of the ones that have to work. I'm, you know, I'm 50, 50, you know, like I go to the grocery store only when we need to, uh, you know, like I, since I'm already exposed, I usually am the one that does all the shopping. Yeah. So my wife doesn't have to, um, you know, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where we go to the grocery store once a week, buy our essential and essentials, and then the next Sunday I go again. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, 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 it's all it is, and you know, it's it sucks, um, but you know, if it's going to save people's lives, it's worth it. A um, couple more questions here for you. It's supposed to be twenty minutes. We're going close to an hour, and I absolutely love every minute of it. You're on what? Lucky number four now, probably. <laughs> no, actually, I'm I'm still sucking on the first one. I don't oh. want to leave. Uh, I'm in my bedroom. I don't want to leave the bedroom because then the kids will be like, Dad, Dad. Yeah, Dad. right. So. All right, well, let's try and uh, bust these last two out. Um, in that same article where I was reading about the the acquisition by Cleveland and you didn't go and what could have been for a hockey career, um, they mentioned the the story of. You going to Brad Bannister and saying, "Hey, we need to bring Tracy Koloski in here when Montreal was having their dispersal draft." Um, how important was it for you to get a guy like him, and how important was the decision for you to relinquish the captaincy to him? So, do you got another hour here? Cause... Yeah, well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right, we can so, go forever. 
So the whole Tracy thing. So I was excited about Tracy, um, you know, like having the opportunity to, to get a player like Tracy. Tracy and I, he played in Coquitlam. I uh, know it wasn't Coquitlam. It was, uh, who went yeah. to Kelowna? Uh, no, he was in Coquitlam. No, but he was, he started with the Thunder. Uh, when they were, remember when they were in Kelowna? Yeah, yeah they were in Okanagan. Yeah, the Okanagan yeah. Thunder. I didn't so know it was before, there. yeah, it was before they were in Okanagan. He was with them. Anyway, there was a, I can't remember if it was in Kelowna. Okay, I can't remember. Anyway, we dropped the gloves to square off. So right. Tracy and I had, had dropped the gloves to square off. Uh, ref jumped in, uh, you know, didn't let us fight, went to the penalty box, came out of the penalty box, dropped the gloves to go off, <laughs> again. So anyway, we didn't end up fighting, but, you know, Tracy, I knew what kind of player he was. I knew what kind of person he was. Um, you know, so when Brad brought Tracy to Calgary, he called me and said, hey, listen, you know, I want to show him Calgary. I want to, you know, get him to like it. Can you take him out? Because I knew everybody, right? So I was like, yeah, yeah we'll take him out. I'll show him a good time. So we get... Uh, he's out pre-drinking with uh, with Brad. They go for dinner and all that kind of stuff. So I meet up with him and, you know, introduce, hey, Trace, how are you doing, Caleb, blah, 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 blah. So a little bit later into the night, uh, Tracy says to me, he's had a few drinks <laughs> by this time, <laughs> and he says, uh, I want to see. And I was like, okay. And he's like, what? And I said, okay. And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, Tracy, I, I don't need to see in order to be a leader or to help this team. If it's going to make you a better lacrosse player, you can have it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's not something that I need. And he kind of stopped and he was like, you know what, Caleb? He goes, I got to be honest with you. And I said, what's that? He goes, well, everyone back East, they all told me that I'd hate you. <laughs> that you're an asshole, that you're, you know, cocky, you're conceited, yeah. you know? And I said, well, Trace, I said, when I play lacrosse, I play to win. I don't play to make friends. I said, yeah. so I'll punch a guy in the face. I'll call him a piece of shit. You know, after the game, if he wants to have a beer, I'm okay with it. But if he's got a grudge, yeah. I said, I'll fight him in the parking lot. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter to me. I, I play to win. I don't play to make friends. And, you know, we're not playing. You're going to be my teammate. I think you can help us. Uh, you know, I want you here. I want you to be happy. And, yeah. you know, if you want the C, the C's yours. Um, <laughs> you know, so, and he was like, well, thanks. And, you know, <laughs> after that, Tracy and I, kind of became you know real good buddies we were roommates yeah. uh you know the whole time we were on the road we were staying together his wife and my wife became friends um the only bad thing was i lived in the southeast tracy lived in the northwest so we were like 45 minutes to an hour drive right, right. away from each other so you know during the week we didn't see each other that often it was just you know games and practices and that. Um, um but the same thing happened uh with uh, uh with uh taylor Ray. So uh, we had, we had, uh, Tracy was a captain. I was the assistant and Kyle Grandy was the other assistant. Yeah. So Chris Hall, the NLL just changed the rule where if you're on the floor during a penalty, uh, you have to be on the floor. So if a player comes to the bench and goes talk to the ref, he yeah. has to stay on the floor. He can't go back to the bench. Right. So we wanted a defensive guy with a letter so he could go talk to the ref and then go of back course. and play short man. So yeah. I said, naturally, he can have mine. And Chris was like, what? I said, he can have mine. Like you don't need a letter to lead. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like I've had a letter for, you know, three, three, four years, you know, he can have it. We don't need to rotate letters. It's okay. I I'm fine with not having a letter. And Tracy, the same thing. He was like, I can't believe you just give it up. Like that. I, said, <laughs> I was like, it's, 
it's not that hard. But like, yeah. it's just a letter on your shirt. Like, you, uh, you lead by what you do. And he's like, I know, but, you know, it's just, you just keep giving and giving. And I was like, well, yeah, but that's what teammates do. <laughs> right? And that, that was one of the main reasons that you were enshrined as forever a roughneck, had your number put up in the Raptors. Um, we've talked about that moment before with you on the show, but who do you think should be the next one? Who's the next forever roughneck? Uh, you know what? Uh, I think, well, if you, if you look at a player that's given his entire career, uh, you know, started as a draft pick, uh, which was probably the first one to be a draft pick of the Roughnecks and be captain of the Roughnecks, um, you know, has done so much for the city of Calgary, um, school programs, coaching minor, Andrew McBride. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, to me, he's the next one. Uh, I love Jason Walder. Um, Jason, the only problem was he wasn't there for that long. Yeah. Uh, you know, when Jason came, it was towards the tail end of his career. Um, you know, if there was, you know how the, the the Canucks do like the Ring of Honor, but they only retire certain jerseys. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. You know, if they did that, there could be, you know, three or four guys that I played with that could be in that Ring of Honor. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, for the Forever Roughnecks, the next one I see is, uh, is McBride. That's a, a perfect and well-suited answer. Buddy, this has been uh, a fantastic chat. Always great catching up. It's been a while since... We've had a good chat, but uh, the stories will always be there. Stay safe. Stay out of the family for me, and hopefully once this all is over, we can have a lucky together. I will, buddy. You take care of yourself. Stay safe. There he is. Niner. Forever roughneck. Caleb Toth. And I love the answer of Andrew McBride for all the reasons that Caleb said. And all the reasons that Caleb was deemed forever a roughneck. The work he did on the floor is paramount. But the work that Andrew and Caleb both have done off the floor in the city of Calgary and for Alberta Lacrosse goes beyond their exploits on the floor. I think it would be a fantastic honor for Brider. Um, and it would be a very, very well-received award by all those Roughnecks fans because Brider really exemplified what it meant to be a Roughneck. So thanks to Caleb Toth for chatting. Um, some absolutely unbelievable stories from his hockey days. And it was truly a different time back then. Any of us that are in our late 30s and 40s and beyond can remember the days of coaches just absolutely laying in to players. And sure, there is still a little bit of that in small circles around the sporting world. But for the most part, as Caleb said, that was when you could really lay into a player. And I, I kind of think hockey coaches were near the upper end of the irate level, I guess you could call it, in sport coaching worlds. But every coach has his moments of losing his mind and going off on a player, I believe. I've done it. I'm sure Caleb's done it. I'm sure he's been on the receiving end of it many times, just as I have. But times are changing. That doesn't mean you can't help grow the next generation of great athletes. And that is exactly what Caleb is doing on the Mid-Island with the Nanaimo Timmerman and everything that Chris Gill and Dan Richardson had hoped he would do for the Vancouver Warriors. 
love chatting with Caleb. Just great stories, great fun, and always good to catch up. Went a little longer than normal. Not exactly a 20-minute chat, but sometimes you gotta let the guest tell his stories. That's all we're about here is telling stories, having a good laugh, and having some fun while we're kind of all locked indoors. That'll about do it for another episode here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Again, if you want, email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Some good stuff coming from the lacrosse flash in the coming weeks. Also, Pat Gregoire has been deemed the Wolf of Wall Street. You'll have to wait for the next All Talk No Action to really figure out what I'm talking about. I guess he would technically be the Wolf of Wall Ball Street, but you'll figure it out when that new episode of All Talk No Action comes out. That'll do it. I'm out of here. Stay safe. Enjoy the outside. Get outside. Don't be a homebody. But as always, keep your distance and be excellent to each other. I am an outlaw. Don't try to love me, don't try to understand